Please turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel, chapter 13. As you turn there, just want to encourage you to, to come back this evening as we have a, our Sunday evening service, uh, Jake mentioned at 5, a, a time of prayer uh, for the situation in the Middle East, and then uh, we'll have our, our service at, at 6, and we're going to be continuing our series uh, called the, the Gen X Church, and we're talking about major movements in church life over the last 50 years. Those who are part of Generation X are around 50 years old, give or take, and we're talking about things that have happened over the last 15 year, 50 years that are major uh, influences still on, on the church. And so like last time we were in this series, we talked about the attractional church model, uh, the mega church, and some of the things that have resulted in how we view church as, as a result of that philosophy. We'll be talking about the ecumenical church in months to come. We'll be talking about the young, restless, and reformed church, and that's influence uh, in coming months. But tonight, we'll be talking about the dispensational church and talking about how dispensationalism has had such a huge influence on the church over the last 50 years and some of the, the strengths and weaknesses of that movement. In fact, as we think even today about the situation going on in the Middle East, I've had many uh, people emailing me or talking to me. I had some pastors uh, texting me this week asking about how we should think about some of those things. And that's a result, I think, some of those questions that I get are a result of the dispensational church movement. Uh, so on the positive side, the idea that we should be living in light of the future and Christ's return, that's, that's a real strength of dispensationalism. On the negative side, uh, some of the sensationalism that goes oftentimes with how we think about current events has been a, a negative uh, fruit of that movement. Uh, I've lived through the, the Cold War and was told that uh, Gorbachev was going to be the Antichrist and then Boris Yeltsin was going to be the Antichrist. I've lived through two Gulf Wars and was told that Saddam Hussein was the Antichrist by you know, some more fringe elements of, of different movements. Uh, all, all times, uh, you, know, you look at teachers who are taking advantage of current events to sell books or get their clicks on their YouTube channels. And so what I would just, just say as, as a word of caution is, is let not your hearts be troubled, right? Uh, as we look at the atrocities that have taken place in the Middle East and Israel as a result of Hamas and the, that terrorist organization, and we think about the incredible suffering by Israelite, the people of Israel and the Palestinians, the, some of the innocent people caught in the crossfire uh, as a result of Hamas's actions there. We are just, uh, our hearts are broken, right? But even in the midst of that, let not your hearts be troubled. Uh, Christ is king, and we trust in him, and we pray uh, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? So I encourage you to come back this evening. We'll talk more about some of those things and, and think through how we as a church should think about uh, different elements of, of the future and, and, and how to understand God's Word. We'll also, uh, next week, be commissioning Covenant Community Church, our church replant. And so we're going to be uh, praying for that work and so excited to have you come and, and be a part of that. And uh, please be continuing to pray for that work. We are entering the last section of First and Second Samuel. We're talking about this, this longing for a covenant king. And as we look at this, this last section, I encourage you to be reading ahead, we'll kind of read through chapters 13 through 20. Uh, those are the chapters that we're going to be considering over the next four weeks or so. And uh, give, me a, give me a little word of caution uh, this morning. Uh, the passage that we're reading with this morning deals with an act of, of sexual violence, and there's going to be some really hard things that we read and, and think through, so uh, let's be preparing our hearts for that and, and just your soul as well. Be I've been praying for uh, those of you who have been affected by things like that to, to have real peace as we read through some of these things and, and encounter some hard things in our text this morning. We're in Second Samuel chapter 13. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 22. And if you're able to, if you'd stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together this morning. Verse 1. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar. For she was a virgin and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend, 
whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man, and he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to her, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. And then David said to Tamar, then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his side and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and, he, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robes that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived, a desolate woman, in her brother Absalom's house. And when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, as we uh, look to your word this morning, we encounter hard, hard truths. As we look at this, this tragic story, we, we pray for your protection on us. We pray that you protect our hearts as we, we look to these words. We pray that your spirit would guide us, would soften our hearts, would protect us from evil. We pray just your, your blessing on our time, continued blessing on your our time of worship this morning for your glory. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We're looking at the last section of, of 2 Samuel, longing for the king of the new covenant. And as we look at this last section of 2 Samuel and the, the end of David's life and reign, or near the end of David's life and reign, I trust that we are going to be protected from a, a misapplication of David's life that we sometimes hear people make. Sometimes when I, I hear people talk about David's life, I hear them compare David to political leaders and say, well, you know, uh, David sinned and yet God used him and so uh, this, this, this leader that we have, uh, he or she is a sinner as well, and, but, but, but God uses sinners and so it, it's okay, right? In other words, we often excuse the sin of our leaders by looking at David's life, and I think that's a, a gross misapplication of this text. Uh, for example, uh, I was reading an article recently from 1993, and the author in this, this article was, was arguing that David sinned, but he used David's sin to, to kind of tell people that it was okay to support Bill Clinton. He wrote, uh, David was 
sin, but he became unquestionably the greatest leader that Israel would ever have and the forebearer of Jesus Christ. As I'm reading that, I'm thinking, uh, have, you, have you read the story of David, right? First, as we think about David, we have his, his, his amazing accomplishments. Remember, we've, we've talked about his, his height as, as a king and the things that he does. And then we encounter his sin with Bathsheba, and we see the fallout from that. All throughout the rest of 2 Samuel, the, the terrible consequences of that sin. If you want to argue from Scripture that we should overlook a, a leader's sin, uh, the story of David is not the text to go to, right? As we look at David's sin, we see that the sin of a leader has terrible consequences, not just in his own life or her own life, but in the lives of the people that they lead. Sin has terrible consequences. A leader's sin can bring misery to those whom he leads. And here in the text, here in chapter 13, the first place that we see David's sin bear awful fruit is in his family. Not an accident that this is the the first story that appears after the story of David's sin with Bathsheba and the confrontation from the prophet Nathan that tells David that tragedy is going to be visited upon his family. We see it play out here in the next chapter. Here's the main idea that I want us to think about. We're going to look at this, these, these chapters, chapters 13 and 14, this week and, and next and talk about our, our role as part of the, the covenant family, the new covenant family. But here's, here's the main idea that I want us to be thinking about together. Only God can give us the strength to be faithful parents and children And only he can comfort us when we fail. Notice I didn't say if we fail, but when we fail. As we think about being part of the the new covenant, even as we're part of the new covenant, it's only God that can give us the strength to be faithful parents and faithful children to, to fulfill the tasks that he has for us. And it's only God who can comfort us when we fail as parents and when we fail as children. We're going to be talking about our failures as parents next week, but and and the hope in that failure. But this morning, we're going to be talking more about children and and children who reject their parents' faith. Next week will be about parents who provoke their children. But this week, we're going to be talking about children who reject their parents' faith. And obviously, when I use the word parents there, I'm I'm speaking broadly. Maybe some of you are are younger people who don't have parents who are believers. So I'm I'm talking about broadly, you know, our, our, our spiritual parents as well as our biological parents who may be people of faith or may not be. But this morning, I'm focusing my thoughts as I've been preparing, especially on those of you who are younger. So, so kids, uh, where, where's my, how many of you are like 21 years old or under? How many, where, where are the kids at this morning? Okay, so I'm pretty sure you're under 21. Yeah, there it goes. Okay. So a little bit younger. Okay, and, and as, thanks, you can put your hands down. And so I'm, I'm thinking about you especially this morning, okay? And I'm, I'm especially, as I think about that subgroup, I'm thinking about those of you who are maybe a little bit older in that group, maybe the late teens to the early mid-20s, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about you. And I'm thinking about you because you're at a very special time in life where you're having to make decisions about your values, about what you believe, and you're taking your parents' values and beliefs, and you're kind of sifting through some of those things. You're saying, okay, which of these things are things that I believe? Specifically, what do I believe about Jesus Christ, the, the true king of the new covenant? And, and so my, my goal, young people, for you this morning is to, to pass on some warnings for you, okay? To take God's word and give you some, some warnings from God's word for you to consider. So, for example, warnings like Hebrews chapter 3 that says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So that's one of the warnings that I want to pass on to you this morning. Don't be hardened by sin and the deception of sin. That, so that's my goal, young people, is to, to pass on some warnings, some, some signs. We're going to look at six characteristics of, of a person, a young person, who is rejecting the faith of their spiritual fathers. 
And as I think about my, as I thought about my tone, I don't want to, I don't want to come across as as a a lecturer, as as someone who doesn't understand or isn't sympathetic to the struggles of young people. But the reality is, some of you have begun to turn away from the faith, and, and maybe you don't even realize it. So those of you who are genuine believers this morning, young people, hopefully you'll hear my warnings and you'll say, oh yeah, that, that, I don't want that to be true of me. I'm in Christ. I'm going to turn and, and follow after Christ because I, I don't want those things to be true of me. Some of you may recognize, okay, I don't think I'm in Christ. My encouragement to you also would be to turn to, to Jesus, to receive as he draws you to himself the, the gift of salvation. And as I think about my tone, again, I uh, vibe, if you will. Um, I think I'm using that correctly. Uh, I, I was thinking about it this way. Uh, you know, last year we had a pastor's retreat about this time of year in the fall, and last year at the pastor's retreat we had six couples, and I was, you know, Whitney and I were on the, in the younger half of those six couples, barely, but still, right? Now, uh, Kent is retired, we brought in two new younger staff members, and now I'm in the older half of the, the pastoral staff, barely, but, you know, right. And so what I recognize, young people, is I'm, I'm kind of the age. The, the, the downside of that is uh, lots of teasing from the younger staff people, which just shows you today, young people, no respect. But <laughs> it's sad, so sad. But the benefit of it is that I'm, I'm kind of the age, I am the age of a lot of your parents or really cool uncles. And uh, I want to, this morning as I share young people, as I share these things to you, I want to share these things as kind of like pastor dad or pastor uncle, okay? That's the tone I'm going here for, okay? So let's, let's talk about some of these things. And I, I hope that as we, we, I won't get through everything I want to say, but as I lay out scripture before you and as we consider these characteristics of a young person who's rejecting the faith of their spiritual fathers and mothers, I hope that you're, if you're true, if you're honest, you'll say, okay, some of these things are true of me. And the challenge you're going to have, young people, as you think about these things and some of them being true of you, you say, okay, are, are these true of me because I'm not a believer, I'm not in Christ? Or are these things true of me because I, I am a believer, but I'm, I, I need to be sanctified in these areas through the work of the Spirit within me? Okay, let's, let's, get, to the, let's get to the text here. And let's, let's turn to Christ together, all right, young people? Here are six characteristics of, and we're going to get to all of them in, in, in depth, but six characteristics of sons and daughters who are rejecting the, the faith, the covenant faith of their, their parents. Number one, sexual idolatry. Sexual idolatry. Look, look at the text. Look at the first couple of verses with me, if you would. And it begins with Absalom. It says, Absalom, David's son. Now, do you remember, we talked before about the children of David. In, in 2 Samuel chapter 3, the narrator kind of laid out some of the, the children that David had before he came to Jerusalem, six of the sons that he had. Remember, the, the text there told us that his oldest son was Amnon. We're encountering him in this chapter. The second born we found in 1 Samuel 3 was named Chiliab. He's also called Daniel in First Chronicles 3, and why, if your name is Daniel, you would go by Chiliab is one of the great mysteries in Scripture, right? Uh, but then the third, the third child that's born, the third son that's born is Absalom. He is the son of Abigail, widow, uh, the widow of Nabal. I'm sorry, that's, that's, uh, that's Chiliab. Absalom is the son of uh, Micah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur, right? And so then you have those, those first three sons, Amnon, the oldest, Absalom, number three. And so the text tells us Absalom, David's son, has a beautiful sister, has the same mother, and her name is Tamar. It says that Amnon, after a time, loved her. And he was so tormented that he made himself ill. He's, he has this desire for Tamar. And then this very dark statement, it says, it seemed, she's a virgin, and it seemed impossible for Amnon to do anything to her. Amnon, the word that's used here for his desire for her is, is the word love, but this word love can, can mean several different things. It certainly, in this context, doesn't mean biblical, God-honoring love. 
It can mean that. So, for example, we, we see this word used to describe God's love for his people in some passages. We also see it in Proverbs 5.18 to describe the intimate love between a, a husband and a wife, a, the type of love that God would approve of. Proverbs 5, verse 18, a young man is told to rejoice in the wife of his youth. She is a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all time with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. And so that, that intimate love between a man and a woman in the context of marriage, God says to rejoice in, to delight in, love your wife in that way. That's a good thing. But that same word, that, that, same, that same love can be perverted. It can be twisted. We see in Scripture that I, that immorality and idolatry are, are closely connected. A person who commits idolatry is, is, is described and compared to a person who pursues sexual intimacy with someone who is not his wife. For example, in Hosea, the prophet Hosea's wife commits adultery, and, and she's a picture of the people of Israel who are committing acts of idolatry. And the, the prophet says in Hosea 4.12, God speaking through the prophet, my people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them oracles. So they're, they're, they're looking to, to idols to guide them. And he says, a spirit of whoredom has led them astray and they have left their God to, to play the whore. There's idolatry taking place there, right? Solomon in 1 Kings, this word used, this word love is used to describe the, 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 the wives who, who carry him in further to idolatry. In other words, here's, here's the warning, young people. Here's, here's the warning. And older people. Sexual immorality is idolatry. It means you're not worshiping the true God. It's, it's a sign that you are on the path of rejecting the, the faith of your spiritual parents. In fact, let, let, me, let me describe two pathways for you, okay? And, and this, is, this, this first pathway that I'm going to describe to you is a pathway of idolatry, worshiping false gods. The, the second pathway is a pathway of worshiping the true God, okay? Now, the pathway of idolatry takes this, this kind of progression, it starts with this idea. God has given me sexuality, a, a desire for physical intimacy. Okay, now is that true? Yeah, that's true. It's good. So the path to idolatry can start at a good place. But then the, the next part, the next progression says this. God has given me sexuality so that I can pursue my happiness in it. Like that's, that's the purpose of it, okay? Now, what is that? That is a man-centered view of life. It says, okay, the, the things that God has given me exist for myself. Uh, one of my favorite stories, I've, I've told this several times, one of my favorite stories I think really illustrates a, a man-centered life is a, is a story about myself. Whenever Whitney and I were younger, we had just started uh, being on staff at a, at a church, and we were going to a, a party at the senior pastor's house, and we, we pulled up in front of his, his house, and we were getting out of the car, and I, I said to Whitney, I said, jokingly, I said, is this party like a surprise party for me to welcome me on staff? And what Whitney said next has been a matter of debate over the next 25 years. <laughs> I thought she said, oh no, you figured it out. She does not remember that at all, so we're not sure what exactly she said, but I went into that party thinking it was a party to surprise me and welcome me on staff, which meant a lot of strange things happened at that party. <laughs> I, I felt like there weren't enough speeches about me. There was no cake with my name on it. We got back in the car after the party when he said, did you have a good time? I said, yeah, it was okay, but for a party to, to welcome me on staff, I thought it was a little lackluster. And she goes, what are you talking about? You know, my surprise party. She goes, I, that was not a surprise party for, for you. I said, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Many of us are going through life 
thinking that it's a surprise party for us, right? Life is all about us. Here I have sexuality. Clearly this is for me. That's the path of idolatry. So it begins with this idea that my, God has given me sexuality. I'm, I'm, it's, it was given to me to maximize my happiness. Next progression is, well, therefore, I need to look inside myself and say, well, what would bring me the most happiness? Perhaps it's, it's uh, adultery. Perhaps it's in, engaging in a sexual relationship with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. Uh, maybe it's uh, a same-sex relationship. Whatever it is, I, I, that's what I look inside myself and say, okay, what's going to bring me the most happiness? And then what the, what's the next step? Then I do that thing. And then what do I, what do I, I find? I find that I am committing idolatry. The path of worship says this, okay, God has given me sexuality. The purpose of my second step, the purpose of my life is to glorify God in all things. Therefore, I've been given sexuality to glorify God. The next step is, okay, therefore, what does God want me to do with this? How does God tell me that I'm to worship him in this? Then I do that thing. And I'm worshiping God, right? And the, the neat thing about this is this, this, this applies to us at every stage of life. Young, old, married, single, wherever we find ourselves, we ask, okay, how would God have me worship him with this gift that he's given me at this moment? Here's a, here's a hard truth, and, and uh, you know, th- people have said this in various ways. This didn't originate with me, but, and, and it's not always true, but it's generally true. You know, right now there's a lot of people who are, who are, deconstructing their faith. And if that means that they're asking hard questions and looking to Scripture and and coming away from that with a a greater passion of following Jesus, great, but that's usually not what it means, right? Deconstructing your faith usually means that you're critiquing your faith and walking away from it, at least the, the faith of Scripture. You show me a person who's deconstructing their faith, and I will show you a person who wants to sleep with someone they shouldn't. That's generally true. You show me a person deconstructing their faith, and I'll show you a person who's a sexual idolater in many cases. Let me encourage you young people with the words of Paul in Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Contrary to what the world tells you and your own flesh wants you to believe, you can do this. Not on your own strength, but the strength of the Spirit who resides within you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that the unrighteous person will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So, young people, those of you, older people, those of you who are sons and daughters of the King, my encouragement to you is worship the Lord in all things, including your sexuality, as you embrace the faith of your parents in the faith. Second characteristic of children who reject their parents' faith is is wicked counselors. You see, Young people who are rejecting the faith of their spiritual fathers and mothers, you see them embracing wicked counselors, and we see that of Amnon, this this son of of David who's rejecting the covenant faith of his father. The text tells us that Amnon has a friend, and and his friend's name is Jonadab, and Jonadab is is a real peach of a guy, right? He's he's his father's brother, it's his cousin, and he's described as crafty. That word crafty can times mean wise. It can mean some some positive things, but just as we see that word love, taking something good and using it to accomplish evil ends, that's what's happening here with wisdom. Jonadab is is taking wisdom and turning it into something perverse. Notice he says to him in verse 4, O son of the king. In other words, hey man, you got everything you should possibly, could possibly want. Another characteristic we could have added here is entitlement, but you know, time is short. He says, son of the king, why, why are you looking so down? Why do you look haggard morning after morning? Tell me, Naaman tells him. 
I, I love, or really I lust, after Tamar. And Jonadab, this, this wretch of a human being here, uh, apart from the grace of God, we see he says to him, he gives him this advice, and this advice doesn't encourage Amnon to do what is right. Instead, he says, look, here's, here's, here's what you can do to, to give yourself what you want. And by the way, Jonadab gives this advice in such a way that he gives himself plausible deniability because he doesn't take his advice to the, to the end degree, to, to the nth degree. He doesn't take it to the, the end result, but he kind of hedges. He takes it right up to the act of violating Tamar, but doesn't tell him to do that. Here's the warning, right? Watch out, young people. Watch out for wicked counselors, for foolish counselors. The draw to surround yourself with counselors who will tell you to do what you want to do is real. And so warning sign that you're walking in the flesh and and not walking in the spirit. A couple encouragements that that go along with this, this warning. Number one, and I'm saying young people, but I, I hope by now the older people in the room among us have realized, man, this really applies to me too. Uh, young people, look out for blind spots, right? Look out for blind spots. One of the disadvantages of being young is you haven't fully seen or maybe even been fully convinced of blind spots. Proverbs 22:15 says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So Scripture's warning to you is that within your heart is, is foolishness, is, is folly, and you need discipline. You need negative aspects of discipline to help cure you of it. You know what's not going to cure you of folly? Surrounding yourselves with other fools <laughs> or other people who are struggling with fools. My lack of prowess in home improvement projects is legendary, right? There have been many times where I have been staring at a home project, some sort of disaster, and just feeling the sense of, of total helplessness, right? The, I'm looking at the hot water heater, and, and, and nothing is happening as I stare at it, right? And then uh, Whitney comes and, and helps me stare at it. You know? Now we're both staring at it. Or we're, we're there in our basement, and, and water is, is, is coming in to our basement, and I'm, I'm staring at the water going, I don't know what to do here, right? You know, you know what would not help me in that moment? What would not help me is calling up a bunch of other pastors to come stare at it with me, right? <laughs> no offense to my fellow pastors. Some of them are much more handy than I am, but some of them aren't. <laughs> so we're all staring at it. Now, now that's not helpful. You know what? Last time that my basement was, was flooding with water, I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. I, I called friends who were much smarter than me, and we came and we stared at it together. And then as, as uh, someone in the upstairs began turning on water and more water started coming in the basement, one of my friends looked at it and said, hey, Brainiac, you know where the water's coming from? I said, go on. When that, you know, when the water comes on upstairs and you see more water coming on downstairs, connect that. Oh, brilliant, right? I don't need more foolish counselors. If you're young, you don't need more young people who have some of the same tendencies that you do to, to, to advise you. We need to be surrounded by people who can look for our blind spots. Another thing to kind of warn you here is to, to, to seek the counsel of older saints. Seek the counsel of older saints. I get it. It's hard, right? Those of you who are older teens or in your 20s, you're kind of in that stage of life where you've been able to, to see more clearly the failures of those who are older, right? You look at us, your parents, and you realize, man, those guys don't know as much as I thought they knew, right? And it's true. We don't. But before you reject our counsel altogether, one of the dangers of youth is looking at the failures of those who are older than you and rightly recognizing they aren't as smart as you once thought they were, but wrongly concluding you're smarter than you think you are, right? if I said that right. Three, reject foolish counselors. Reject foolish counselors, wicked counselors, because their road is a road that ends in destruction. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Uh, recently, Andy Stanley hosted a conference called the Unconditional Conference, and it, it's 
featured speakers who were in same-sex relationships or who were encouraging people to be involved in, in same-sex relationships. The conference was rightly criticized, and Stanley felt the need to respond to those criticisms and give a message the next few weeks. And according to Sam Albury, who wrote about it, his message was essentially this. Uh, you shouldn't sexualize any relationship outside of marriage. Same-sex relationships are sinful. But he also said that sometimes it's not sustainable for people to abstain from those relationships. Sam Albury wrote this. And Sam Albury has, has famously uh, talked about his own struggles with same-sex attractions and his, his fight against that recognizing that that attraction is sinful, he, he writes this, he says, Albury, writing about Stanley's comments, says this, to accept that a biblically prohibited relationship is permissible, or at least the bad way forward, is to contradict the biblical sexual ethic. I've always, Albury writes, I've always been single, and on the whole, it has been deeply joyous, but I am not immune from temptation and when any leader suggests to me that chaste obedience to Christ and singleness is not sustainable, he is saying the very same thing to me that the devil says. And that's exactly true, young people. We need to surround ourselves by counselors who tell us the hard truths about ourselves and about life and about the joy of walking in sacrificial obedience to Christ. That is not Jonah Dad. Before we move on, a word to us as older saints. Let's be careful with the advice we give, right? Let's make it easy for young people to talk to us. I had a kid tell me recently about another youth leader. They said, I, I can tell that youth leader anything and I don't feel judged. Uh, let's point young people to the sure path of obedience to God and, and gentleness, help them along. And with, with, uh, with biblical gentleness, right? Uh, number three, another characteristic of, of young people who are rejecting the, the faith is a deceptive lifestyle. A deceptive lifestyle. Amnon goes through with Jonadab's plan. He tells David to, to send his sister Tamar, and, and David does not ask the follow-up questions that he needs to. He's we're going to talk about David's failures next week. And so Tamar comes to him. David's, David's been deceived by Amnon. Uh, Tamar and the people who are with Amnon are deceived by, uh, by Amnon. And over and over again, we see Amnon making the decision to deceive. He wants what he wants. He's willing to deceive to get it. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but here, here's my caution. Here's my warning. Young people, watch out for the temptation to... Conceal your thoughts, emotions, your actions from, from those who are in positions of authority or influence for you. Now I get it, right? You want some independence, and that's good. That can be healthy. You don't want to begin every morning by reading your, your diary journal to your parents, right? That doesn't sound very pleasant to anyone. But we have to ask ourselves when we conceal our heart, when we conceal our thoughts, when we conceal our actions, what is my motivation for that concealment? Is my desire to conceal these things just because, you know what, I, I kind of want to talk about some of these with my friends, I don't want to share everything with my parents, that's okay. But if my desire is to conceal things from those who love me or in positions of authority over me, if my desire to do that is because I, I don't want the reproach, I don't want the correction that they'll give me because I know my, my thoughts are wrong, I know my attitudes are wrong, I know my actions are wrong. If that's my purpose for concealment, there's a problem. If, they, if my parents hear the jokes that I'll tell, they'll tell me about how... Uh, my speech needs to be God-honoring. If they hear me gossip, they'll correct me on my hard attitude of slander. If, I, if they find out that I'm cheating in school, they'll be really uptight about that. If they hear how I talk disrespectfully to people in positions of authority, they'll correct me. If my purpose of concealment is so that I can conceal my sin, that's a danger. That's a danger. Number four, violent behavior. 
These are horrific verses, aren't they? Amnon, now people have left the room, now that there are no checks on his behavior, driven by his lustful idolatry, he, he rapes Tamar. She resists him as he, as he takes hold of her. She speaks words of truth to him. This is outrageous behavior. You're, you're a fool. She, she, says that, she says the king won't withhold me from you, and, and hopefully what she's saying there is not true. She's saying this, I, I believe, here to get out of the situation. Clearly, Amnon didn't believe that the king wouldn't withhold her from her. That's why he's doing this, this terrible thing. Here's the warning. And before I get to the warning, we know that there are many people in this room, there are some people in this room, who have been abused sexually by, by people who are in positions of, of power. I think it's important as we look at a text like this to, to know that the church will not ignore your cries for help. It must not. Sometimes churches are afraid of what's going to happen to the institution if victims are protected. Look, no leader who would harm the innocent should be shielded from the, the consequences of their actions, right? No church that would fail to protect those who have been hurt is worth shielding or should be shielded from the consequences of that sort of behavior. It shouldn't be protected. Here's the other very sobering thought for me as, as a pastor who loves the people in this church. If it's true that there are many people in this room who have been the victims of, of sexual violence, it means that there may be people in this room who've been perpetrators of sexual violence or will be someday. If you've committed sexual violence, God knows. And the best thing for you, for your soul, would be to confess receive God's grace and, and the consequences that are necessary. And some of you need to realize, maybe you say, well, I'm, I'm not a, I haven't committed any sort of sexual violence yet, or I haven't. Know that some of you are on a path that can lead to that. Just like David's sin, he didn't know as he began walking down that path of lust that would lead to, to adultery and the murder of Uriah. Some of you are on a path that is going to lead you to do horrible things unless in God's grace you turn. Proverbs 14.1 says that the, the foolish woman tears down her house with her own hands. Younger and older saints, consider this, our culture has been tearing down homes that God has provided for our safety and our joy. And as, so, for example, God calls us to pursue his purpose for our sexuality. And we say, no, I can do whatever I want. He, he provides the structure of marriage, and he gives us the teaching on creation. We're made in, in his image, male and female. We, we tear that away. We tear down the home with our own hands, and we are surprised to find that the sexual Revolution has not brought the joy we thought it would. Remember whenever Mike Pence was mocked for his antiquated view of women and how he was careful about being alone with women who weren't his wife. Then the Me Too movement struck, and we found out all the terrible things that the more enlightened men among us were doing to women. Young people, watch out for violent behavior, for hard attitudes that would take root in your soul, it would cause you to become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and someday cause you to do terrible things to a sister in Christ. Please. God has placed protections around our sexuality for your joy and your safety and the safety of those you claim love. Number five, volatile emotions. Amnon allowed himself to be ruled by his motion and his lust earlier that continues. It is a, a clear sign that he has no relationship with, with God and the, the faith of his father. And it says that as he's ruled by his emotions earlier, he had, he had followed through on his compulsive actions, and now he continues to do so. It says suddenly he hates her with a very great hatred, and he, he hates her more than he used to love her or lusted after her. 
He says, get up and go. And she says, no, this is more wrong than what he did to me earlier. He wouldn't listen to her. And this is this tragic, tragic actions. He, he puts her out of the room. Now, here's the warning. The warning isn't that it's wrong to have emotions. The warning that we see here is that it's wrong to be ruled by our emotions, to let our emotions be in control of our lives. Emotions are powerful. They can be used for, for great good. I, I really benefit from being around uh, people who are sometimes, sometimes I'm not very emotional, so sometimes it's good to be around uh, younger people even who are, who are passionate about some things, and they allow, first of all, they, they, they base their life upon the truth of God's Word, and then as they look at the truth of God's Word, they get excited, and they're, they're just, con- there's a zeal that, that's contagious, and I, I need to be around that. The danger, of course, is being ruled by emotions and allowing emotions to decide what truth is. Listen to these, these Proverbs. Proverbs 17, 27. If you struggle with being ruled by your emotions, here's some, here's some verses to write down to meditate on. Proverbs 17, 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. What we see here is that we aren't to live in a world in which there's the, the, the tyranny of the emotion. And so often in our, our culture today, we, we base our truth on what feels right this feels right, this feels fair, this feels good, as opposed to looking at what God tells us. A sign that you're walking down a path that leads to rejection of the faith of your fathers and mothers is to be ruled by your volatile emotions. I feel this way today, I feel this way, or that way the next. A sixth thing we see here, the last thing we'll look at this morning, is premeditated evil, another characteristic here of those who are young and walking away from the faith. Look look at the text. We'll we'll cover some of this more next week, but we see the dominoes fall, right? Absalom hears what's happened, and it says that he, he holds his peace. He tells his sister to hold her peace, and he does the same says that he hated Amnon, but he spoke neither good nor bad to him in verse 22. And then, after two years, he has this party, Absalom does. And, and at this point, by the way, we're kind of on Absalom's, we're on, we're on Absalom's side initially, right? I mean, we, we want justice as well, and, and David doesn't provide justice. He protects his son. We'll talk more again about that next week. But now, Absalom, instead of working through the pathways of, of justice, like Amnon, begins to, to premeditate doing evil. He invites all his brothers to this, this party, and then he says in verse 28, he commands his servant, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear, have I not commanded you, be courageous and be valiant. And they did as Amnon had told them to do. They kill Amnon. We'll talk more about the ensuing evil that comes from this. But we understand as we look at Amnon, as we look at Absalom, the heart that is concealing things and, and constantly thinking through, okay, here's this evil that I want to do. How, how can I do it? That's a sign as we think about Actions in the future that are evil and disobedient to God and to our parents and other people in positions of authority recognize, okay, this this is a sign that I'm not walking in obedience to the Lord. Now, all of us, as we look at these characteristics, sexual idolatry, wicked counselors, deceptive lifestyle, volatile emotions, premeditated, premeditated evil, all of us, as we look at some of these things, should say, yeah, that's, there's, there's some of these things that are true of me. 
these are the deeds of the flesh. We want to watch for them in our hearts. And the end of Absalom, the end of Amnon is bad. As we see these in our life, we want to remember the danger of sin. And, 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 and the message, by the way, young people, is, is if you want to take away another kind of nugget from, from this morning, uh, take this proverb with you. This proverb says, the way of the transgressor is hard, right? And so someday in the future, as you find yourself in a hard situation, remember that Pastor Uncle Daniel said this, right? Uh, the way of the transgressor is hard. The lifestyle of a person who walks in disobedience to God will not be joyful, but will be hard. And as you find yourself in that situation, say, oh, this is exactly what God, exactly what my parents told me would happen. This morning, some of you may come to this conclusion, I'm not in Christ, young people. Mom and dad had a faith. Grandma had a faith. But, but I don't. The good news is this. As we look at David, we're seeing a longing for a, the, the new covenant king. And that's Christ. And he will receive you today. He loves and is ready to forgive. That is why he came into this world. To save you. Respond in repentance. Receive eternal life. Some of you may come to this conclusion. I am in Christ. The Holy Spirit resides in me, and I'm, I'm not experiencing any joy on the path that I'm in right now. There's good news for you as well. That's why King Jesus came, to receive you, to love you, to help you to grow. He wants to receive and restore you. Young people, we all fail, right? And the good news that you need this morning is the same good, same good news some of us are going to need next week. As we think about our failures, only God can give us the strength to be faithful, and only God can comfort us when we fail. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of your Son, Jesus. We thank you for the life that we have, a life that is not based upon our own works, but a life that is based upon the, the perfect work of Jesus Christ, our true King, as we look at David and his failures and the, the failures as those work out in his family, our, our hearts are filled, filled with grief. Not, not just grief for what we see in this family and all the terrible things that happen, but, but the, the grief that we think about as we think about our own lives and the, and the terrible consequences of sin. But Father, we trust in you. We trust in your goodness. We trust in the work of your son Jesus on the cross paying the penalty of our sin for us, and we trust in the work of the Holy Spirit who will continue to convict, to guide, to save. Please, save us this morning. Deliver us from evil. Help us to walk with renewed obedience in your pathway. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.